You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Come Home, Full Life in a Whole Church. In this series, we see that those who come to Christ find new life in a new family. We'll learn why the church exists, what it does, and how each of us is a valuable part. Now hear the word of the Lord. One day, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. He replied, You know the saying, Red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. Later, after they crossed to the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered they had forgotten to bring any bread. Watch out, Jesus warned them. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, You have so little faith. Why are you arguing with each other about having no bread? Don't you understand even yet? Don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves and the baskets of leftovers you picked up? Or the 4,000 I fed with seven loaves and the large baskets of leftovers you picked up? Why don't you understand that I'm not talking about bread? So again I say, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then at last they understood that he wasn't speaking about the yeast and bread, but about the deceptive teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. My name's Jonah, and I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for joining us this morning. I'm curious. What do you think you need to sustain your faith these days? With all that's going on, all that we're facing, have you found yourself asking for something? Have you ever felt like you just needed a little something to sustain your faith? What what would it take for you to believe the way that you wished you believed? I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Um, and a little while ago, I learned that uh, there's an interesting interaction that can happen between water and brick. Uh, there's a phenomenon where water can seep into brick, and then the water evaporates, but salt deposits left by the water can show up on the surface of the brick. So almost mysteriously, you can see this white salt film appear on brick. And if, if you're familiar with our building... Uh, You may know, right here, it's out over there, facing our playground on Silver Street, there's a large, empty brick wall. I don't know how big it is. 60 feet long and 15 feet high. I want you you to imagine uh, that one day we wake up, and over the span of a few weeks, God had made it rain just so and controlled the density of the bricks just so, made the wind conditions and the heat 
just so, so that one day as you're driving up Silver Street, like thousands of people do every day or used to, you drive up one day and in salty white deposits on that hundred-year-old brick, the words, I am real, appeared on the building. How might people react to that? How might you react to that? All of a sudden, as if by magic, the words, I am real, appeared on this large brick church wall. Initially, I think I can see in my mind people from the neighborhood coming out. I think some people, not knowing what to do, they would fall on their knees, weeping and worshiping God. I imagine old ladies from the neighborhood putting flowers on the wall. I see teenagers posting videos on TikTok and 30-year-olds posting videos on Instagram of this imaginary, this magical wall. Maybe a GoFundMe would be created to create the shrine of the salty savior. Final proof, God is real. Imagine then, because, you know, here we are in the springtime in southern Indiana, it, it would be a few days, maybe a week, and another hard rain comes and washes the magical salt wall away. By now, it would have hit national news networks, and those networks would be filled with the, the serious and the sophisticated, the, the people who are rational, intelligent, and they would be, I imagine at least, gathering experts to explain away the phenomena. A brick expert would be on talking about the unique properties of that brick that made it especially salty. Geologists about the unusual calcium content of our water due to the limestone in the ground. Handwriting experts would talk about the unusual letter shapes that made it merely appear to be letters, but not really letters. And I think in short order, there would be a large group of people that began wondering, was this really proof or just some kind of fantastic natural phenomenon. There would probably be another group of those who held on to the proof. They would say, no, we saw it. We saw the video. It was real. It's proof. God exists. But just like the rain came and washed the salt away, I imagine life would get hard again and wash some of that proof away. Children would get sick. Jobs would be lost. People would begin asking questions like, well, so what if he exists? What difference does that make when all of this is going on? Despite this wonderful miracle and the glory of the shrine to the salty Savior, I think in a very short period of time, we would be left with two camps. There would be the deniers and the dismissers, those who say it didn't count or wasn't real, and then those who just simply said it wasn't enough. If something like this were to happen, I think all of us would learn, unfortunately in painful ways, that proof is not enough for the faith that we long for. The story from Matthew 16 this morning is about proof. It's more than just proof, though. It's about that incessant itch 
to know that you know that you know. I remember the where I was the first time I heard that phrase. If you grew up in church, I'm almost certain you've heard that phrase. Do you know that you know that you know? That longing for just a little bit more evidence that would finally put all of our fears and doubts to rest. Something I hope to show you this morning that I think is right here in this text is that proof is simply not powerful enough to support the house of your life. If all of your desires and longings and circumstances that you're facing, if if you imagine all of that as a house, proof is not a strong enough foundation to hold all that life will throw at you. In the the first century, there, there was a similar group of the serious and the sophisticated, the intelligent experts who were rational and had all of the answers. It's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so this version of the serious and sophisticated are seeking yet again to trap Jesus. And here's the trap in verse one. One day, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus, demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. It's a special phrase here that's easy for us to miss. Miracles in that day were known to be performed by humans and demons. So just as a side note, just because something miraculous happens doesn't mean it's from God. Just because someone did something miraculous didn't mean they were godly or one of the good guys. They could, in fact, be a deceiving spirit. They could, in fact, be one of the bad guys. They could be, in fact, someone just trying to get rich on the suffering of others. So the serious and sophisticated are asking for a miraculous sign from heaven. This is a special category of miracle in the Bible that only God could provide. So in essence, they're saying, we've heard of exorcisms and healings, but you know, anybody could do that. We need something more. We need something that's definitive proof. Jesus responds in what feels like anger. It's almost dismissiveness. In essence, he's saying, the only people that would talk to me that way are people who are comfortable committing adultery. The only people that talk to me that way are those who are okay with breaking marriage vows, people lacking integrity, people without character, vow breakers. And so in verse four, his clearest response to them is that they will get only one sign. He says, the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. We have to talk about what that means, and and we will in a minute, but you have to initially see there's decisive break happening here. Jesus is shaking the dust off his feet with the serious and the sophisticated. He won't have it from them anymore. He moves from here to talking to his disciples. Part of the reason that he's done with them Uh, Matthew makes that clear from the beginning of this chapter. They didn't come to learn from Jesus or about Jesus. They came to test him. They came to trap him. These are not sincere motives. These are accusatory, scheming motives. And so Jesus takes his disciples away and gives them a warning about people like the serious and the sophisticated. He says, watch out. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. (laughs) <laughs> I think this next bit is really quite funny. And, and you got to feel for Jesus a little bit here. The disciples are so confused. Bless their hearts, as we would say. So in verse 7, it says, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. 
<laughs> Jesus says, beware of the yeast. And they're like, is it your yeast, Matthew? James, is it your, did you bring the bread? What? And they're sitting there arguing with one another about bread. One of them started panicking, worried that he was supposed to go to the store and pick up bread for Jesus and whatever. So they're, they're arguing maybe about bread making techniques, maybe who has the best yeast, sourdough versus French, uh, whatever. Jesus is frustrated. The serious and sophisticated were trying to trap him, and now the disciples seem to miss the point that he's been showing them explicitly for a long time now. So Jesus looks at them and says, don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves, the baskets of leftovers you picked up, or the 4,000 I fed with seven loaves and the large baskets of leftovers you picked up? Why can't you understand I'm not talking about bread? This, his response helps us to understand some of what he's upset about, both with the serious and the sophisticated and his own disciples. The point of the miracles was to reveal something about God. Remember, when we talked about both of these miracles, the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000, Jesus goes up on a mountain and sits down like a teacher, like a revelator, someone revealing truth about God from God. Jesus was using those miracles to show he was God and what God is like. He's eager to care for all we are and to meet our needs by grace. Only God can do that. And yet here we are arguing about bread again. So Jesus has to say, remember what we've been through, guys. Remember what is going on here. And then it begins to click for the disciples. Verse 12, at last they understood he wasn't speaking about the yeast in the bread, but about the deceptive teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. There, there was something going on in the hearts of the serious and the sophisticated. Can you see it? Consistently, Jesus has called them, in essence, pretenders hypocrites, people playing a part, acting. Going beyond what is written for the sake of their own feelings of spiritual superiority and sophistication. There's a warning for all of us who claim the name of Christ and for all churches. There's also revelation and invitation, but first, we have to see the warning. Spiritual thrill-seeking will not hold our house up. The continual hunger for the miraculous, for more of the spectacular, proof is not powerful enough to hold the house of your life. The warning here is to beware the sign-seeking person demanding more and more to sustain their faith. This, this can be very subtle. It can be the person who keeps saying, God, if you would only do this miracle, I would believe. God, if you would do this for me, then I, I would believe. Maybe you've wistfully come to the pages of Scripture with all of your doubt and all of your uncertainty and thought, if I could only see what the disciples saw, then I would have such great faith. And the reality is, if you saw what the disciples saw, you would probably have faith similar to the disciples. Inconsistent, slow to understand, slow to change. 
There is no miracle. There is no proof strong enough or lasting enough to sustain our faith. This can become far more insidious and damaging, though. The doubt of the disciples, right? There's a degree of uncertainty. Help me understand what's going on here. The doubt of the disciples can take root, though, and become more like the skepticism of the serious and sophisticated. To put that another way, doubt can slowly transform. It can metastasize into demand. This is the church that demands supernatural signs and wonders as the hallmark of a true church or of genuine faith or of a genuine Christian. You are not a true church. You are not a real Christian unless fill in the blank. And when that blank gets inserted with some kind of supernatural occurrence or some miraculous newsworthy event, you know that the yeast of the Pharisees is at work. It is, these kinds of churches so often will demand some supernatural evidence, some sign of power, some sign from heaven. And you are not a true Christian until this has happened. That's the yeast of the Pharisees. That's the demand for the miraculous. Any church that demands signs and wonders as requirements for true Christianity has been infiltrated by the yeast of the Pharisees. Again, the deception is twofold, and, and we have to see this. Could, this could be us personally, it could be us as a church. It's called deception because it's not necessarily something we're deliberately doing. We're, we're not anyone whose heart is turned towards Christ that isn't, I don't think, deliberately trying to misrepresent Christ or damage people. It's deceptive. The first reason it's deceptive is simply because it will not last. You watch these places and these people who make these demands. There's always got to be something newer, bigger, new evidence. The miraculous sign does not last. And, and second, it elevates the person above God. We demand that he dance for us in a certain way before we believe. It's functionally saying to God, all you've done is not enough, so do it again. But if you could do it faster, bigger, better this time. This is why he describes these people as being adulterous. They, in essence, say, if only you would do this, then I would do that. God, if you would deliver us, then we would respond with this faith. God, if you would do this, then we would do that. And if you read the story of the scriptures, God follows through, and we do not. God, if you would do this, then we would do that. And we see God show up and we run away. There simply is no miraculous provision that will sustain the heart that is continually asking that question. And this posture of demand towards God is a rejection of the gospel itself, demanding God do more for us than he's already done. Functionally, maybe not with your words, maybe not confessionally, but functionally with the way you're living, it's saying that Jesus is not enough. So to be clear, this doesn't mean that we don't pray for miracles, or that we don't pray for healings. This doesn't mean that we neglect the supernatural gifts that God has given to his church by the power of his spirit. It doesn't mean that we never ask God for help or blessing. It, it just means we refuse to let signs and wonders become the foundations of our church. 
It means we refuse to let more proof become the foundations of our church. It means we refuse to try and put God in the witness stand, demanding that he perform more for us. It means we receive the sign of Jonah as the invitation that it is. So there's the warning for us. Beware of the thrill-seeking church. Beware of spiritual thrill-seeking Christians. The invitation for us is to receive the sign of Jonah. Jesus has already gone through this with the serious and sophisticated, and they refused to believe. May we not be like them. Listen, earlier in Matthew, Jesus said explicitly what the sign of Jonah is. In chapter 12, verse 40, he said, For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Jesus is saying he is the greater Jonah, sent to preach repentance. He is the greater Jonah who will spend three days in the belly of death. And he is the greater Jonah who will not simply be spat onto shore. He will be raised from the dead. Jesus is saying, if you want a miraculous sign from heaven, it is me. He is the miracle that sustains faith. If you are looking for a miracle to carry you, look to the miracle of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. It is the person and presence of Christ that carries us through this life and into the next. The proof of the resurrection is intended to drive us to the person of Jesus. There is no explanation that makes any sense about what happened to the body of Jesus outside of physical resurrection. It's historical, there's proof. And yet there's lots of people who aren't interested in Jesus. The proof of the resurrection wasn't meant to just be a mental exercise. It was intended to push us into the person and presence of Christ. So what is a true church? Well, the story is showing us the fourth pillar. We are saved by and for Christ alone. We stand on the authority of God's word alone. We are given full life in a whole church by grace alone. We receive and respond to this invitation by faith alone. And all of this is accomplished by and for the sake of Christ alone. Jesus is the miracle from heaven that saves and sustains you. May we become a people who stop looking for signs and wonders and start looking for Jesus. Presence is the answer. See, people aren't just looking to know God is real. That's why the shrine of the salty Savior would never work. That's why proof is not enough. We don't want to know God is real. We want to know he's with us. We want to know he pays attention. We want to know he cares. This is why Jesus would be called Emmanuel, God with us. The evidence is not enough. We need a person. We need presence. This is why he doesn't write his name in the sky, but instead he comes and he dwells among us, promising to fill all who receive him, not with his information, but with his presence. The most... I get that that is a strange concept. Finding the presence of Christ. What does that mean? How, do, how does that feel? How do we know? 
And there's much that could be said about that. And this has been the pursuit of Christianity for thousands of years. The most reliable, consistent place you can find him is through ordinary, everyday things. Simple things. Things that we can sometimes tend to dismiss or look down on, like praying and reading the Bible. There's, there's a difference, though. See, some versions of the serious, serious and sophisticated will say, you're not a real Christian unless you read the Bible this much, unless you have this long prayer list. And so we show up to community group or maybe your Zoom call with your long prayer list. It's like, look at how serious I am. Look at what a real Christian I am. Oh, you don't have a prayer list? You must not be a real Christian. I'll pray for you too. So, so we, don't, we don't do these things like praying and reading the Bible to check a list, to prove something, to keep God happy with us. We pray and we read the Bible for the sake of knowing Jesus and experiencing the presence of Jesus. Some of you have a lot of extra time and there's a lot more quiet in your life right now. I know that's not everybody, but there's many of us where that is the case. This could be a great opportunity for you to learn how to read the Bible for the sake of knowing him. The pastor's wrote a helpful little booklet, uh, we call them field guides, called Taste. I don't know if we have a picture. Yeah, there it is. Taste, how to encounter God in the Bible. This is all free in the app. You can tap on media and then sojourn field guides, and you can read all of these different topics. Uh, Taste is a great one, how to encounter God in the Bible. It's a way of reading the scriptures, not just to learn them or know more about them, but how can we receive the scriptures as an invitation to experience the presence of Christ? If your faith feels weak and you find yourself clinging to some wished for miracle, I really, I really understand that. I invite you though to return your eyes to an empty tomb. Do not forget what we celebrated one week ago. Receive the sign of Jonah. Jesus would be crucified. He would die. He would be buried. And three days later, he rose from the dead. Please do not be like the serious and sophisticated, always demanding more and refusing to turn. Look at the empty tomb of Jesus and decide in your soul, maybe even now, this is enough for me. The resurrection of Jesus is enough for me and make it your aim to follow Jesus. Christ has come and he's inviting you now to come home to a full life in a whole church built on Christ alone. He is revealed to you in his word. He has saved you by grace and he's asking you to put your faith in him alone. So how will you respond. Maybe the more difficult question to wrestle with in your own heart is will the resurrected Christ be enough for you? Jesus is the only miracle you need. He will save and sustain you. Will he be enough for you? Wrestling with that question is why we Practice the sacred tradition of communion every week uh, to remember his provision for us and the promise of his presence. So we remember the night that he was betrayed. 
Jesus took a loaf of bread. He thanked God for it. He blessed it and he broke it. And he looked at his disciples and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the meal was over, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you, which seals your relationship with God. Drink this in remembrance of me. So I invite you wherever you are to take what you have, evidence of God's provision, something ordinary uh, that can become something sacred, something ordinary that can be for you a reminder of Christ's presence with you and his provision for you. And we take it and eat it and remember Christ's body given for us. We take what we have to drink and we drink it and remember his blood shed for us. That is what seals us. This is the great miracle that seals our relationship with God and will bring us all the way home and don't miss the imagery. He gives us something that we can taste, something that we can chew, that we can feel, and that as we take it in, it literally becomes who we are. This is the invitation to come home and receive Christ and allow his presence to fill you. I'll pray for us, and then I invite you to remember the glory, the goodness of being built on Christ alone, wherever you are. Uh, And if you would, take a picture. Take a picture of you and whoever you're with, And we're using the hashtag, he is risen. We're in the glorious season of Easter. And it's such an encouragement to see all these faces and remember that we are still together. I'll pray for us and then we will continue to worship. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.